We're so excited to spend some time with you today on the Awakening Moments podcast. My name is Lori. And I am Rhonda. And it's our hope that you would feel like we are with you wherever you are right now, having a real life conversation about life in all its beauty and in all its mess. We believe that God wants to open our eyes to an awakening moment that will help us thrive in every part of our being. So we invite you on this adventure with us as we listen, learn, and grow together. Lori, I think today we could talk about a topic that I think affects many people, probably in ways we are not even fully aware of how much it affects people, and that is being assured of their salvation. Yeah. You know, I think this would be a really neat topic to talk about of how do you know you can be assured in your salvation? No, we are sinful. We have, we're working out our salvation. We just are trying to just kind of work life out in the midst of so much trial and ourselves involved in all of this mix up. Well, let me start that over again. Oh, no problem. No problem. Okay. Well, just start like that. Is that good? Just cool. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So Lori, today I think a really good topic to kind of discuss together. Ah, let me do it one more time. Not yeah. discuss. <laughs> What's the word? To unpack. That's the word okay. I was thinking in my head okay, and let okay. me discuss. Okay. Last right. one. Lori, I think a really good topic today to unpack is the assurance of our salvation. I have spoken to so many people and you can see this undercurrent of an insecurity, not a confidence in their security of knowing that they are saved and that they are going to make it to heaven. Wow. Do nope. you sense that as well? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've seen that for sure. And I can I can personally really relate to this topic because I feel like, I don't know if you felt this way, but growing up, we grew up in the same the same church and sort of the same teaching or or maybe it wasn't even the teaching itself. I, I actually hate to blame the teaching because it was like, I think is my understanding of the teaching. But there was this sense or this feeling like you had to ask Jesus to come into your heart again and again and again and again. You any time that you had sinned or any time that you had failed God in a way that you recognized that you failed God, it was like, you know, if Jesus returned in that moment, oh, you wouldn't go. There was just this like Mm -hmm. constant insecurity and this constant like needing to make yourself right for God in order to have security in your salvation. I don't know if you felt that way, but I know as a a young girl and even going through my teen years, like I, I was really like this was a very upsetting sort of way to flesh out my faith. I agree because I, it was a real focus on the holiness of God, which is there. God is holy, but it became from the holiness of God to more of a works, like the works focus. Right. Like a bit of like that legalism. Like that's right. These external things equal right with God, being right with God. That's right. right? That's right. Behaviors, versus the these heart. external behaviors equal now you were right with God. That's right. Like versus the heart being as I live this out and fall more in love with Jesus and want to please him and honor him out of a place of love and devotion. That is an overflow that happens. That happens versus working from the outside in. And so I really, exactly, we're not really focused on blaming the teacher, but I think the understanding and even the era we grew up in and the type of movies, like I think of we've, (laughs) when we would rent a VCR, I was laughing the other day thinking about the excitement on a Friday night when I would smell pizza walking in the house and I would know it's movie night because we went to our favorite pizza spot down the street on Grantham Plaza and then we also rented a VCR and the big like the big unzipped case my dad would set it all up 
But the movies we watched were actually so scary. They were Christian movies. And they were scarier <laughs> than most other movies I've ever seen. Because, like horror movies. Yeah. Like you being left behind and being beheaded in the tribulation. Like these type of movies. <laughs> and this is like family time. This is like pull it's up like the popcorn. Seven, eight years old, <laughs> nine years old. You're like, ah. <laughs> And so every time I sinned, or especially after I watched one of those movies, I was sure I wasn't saved. And I was crying that night. Like, Jesus, please don't let me be left behind. Please don't let me get beheaded in the tribulation. <laughs> I want to be raptured. You know, it's so funny. But that's that was the but, focus of but such genuine fear. and real. Yeah. yeah. And I remember one time I came home from school and my mom, literally, when you've watched these movies, you'll understand this. In the opening scene, I think of the first movie, there's like a blow dryer. The girl is doing her hair and it's just running like everything's running in the house, the tea kettle and the phone's ringing and no one's there because they've been raptured. I came home from school and my mom, all this, there was a couple things boiling on the stove. And I, I wish my mom had just run over because she was missing something from a neighbor. But when I walked the door, my mom wasn't there. I instantly started bawling, being like, it's the rapture. It's over. And you know what I first, you know what my first thought was? I'm going to call Mrs. Eitz. If Mrs. Eitz, your mom. Oh my god. If Mrs. Eitz answers the phone. It's not the rapture. Oh. My mom walked through the door, but isn't that funny? I oh. actually was thinking, who are the most godly people I know? And if they're still here, <laughs> it has been so cute. I always thought my my one call was Mr. Topping, uh, <laughs> Pastor Topping. If Pastor <laughs> Topping, the man that was the most like Jesus yes, I ever yes. met, if he was still here, then we are good. <laughs> yeah, I know. The rapture didn't happen, but that happened to me too. Like that, that, that Rolodex me. of like, okay, who are the people that I know that like I really think are <laughs> definitely making it? Did you make the call? <laughs> no, I, my mom walked through the door before that. But I remember thinking that, like walking in the kitchen, seeing these boiling pot, like the water boiling, oh, yeah. remembering the scene Terrified. of the blow dryer in the movie where yeah. the rapture had happened, thinking, when I, I need to call Mrs. Eitz. And my yeah. mom walked through the door and I was like, but I think tears had probably already started. Like mm -hmm. I missed it. I miss it. But there is this sense in believers that, you know, in my life, I'm not sure if I'm going to make it. I'm not sure if I'm as godly as I need to be or is my security in salvation really secure? Like, where is that line where I lose it? Where do I lose my salvation? Like, where does that happen? So I think this is a neat topic to unpack and to really bring some doctrinal soundness to what salvation, the power of salvation and what it brings and holds in our lives. Yeah, I think that's really powerful because even as we joke about it right now, like this is a legit fear for a lot of people. Like this is a space of fear and trepidation as, you know, people are working out their salvation that they're grappling with these doubts about, you know, whether they're good enough to go to heaven. They're good enough for eternity. They're good enough for God. And I you know, for many, many, many years had this tendency to go back into sort of an earning place in my relationship with God to, you know, if I was sitting and listening to a message and, you know, the message had, you know, uh, just, just a real challenging call that brought conviction to my heart. I can very easily just, re I receive that message wholeheartedly, but I can slip back into earning back mm -hmm. into sort of a way of almost like self salvation. I know that sounds crazy, mm -hmm. but that's, kind of what happens when we believe that our salvation is so conditional based on our behavior and what we do. We sort of believe this idea that I have to do these things, A, B, C, and, and they're scriptural. Usually they're biblical, right? They're biblical things. I need to follow it to the letter. And these are the things I need to do in order to earn my salvation. And it, and it is a form of 
self-salvation in a way if you really think about it and and this is sort of what started to change my mindset about it because I, I lived like this for years is that you know I, I started to think is what Jesus did for me enough hmm. and all of a sudden I realized oh my goodness I don't believe it's enough for me I believe it's enough for other people but I don't believe it's enough for me no for me I have to do these things in order to receive it before I can receive this gift of grace. I've got to do these things. The whole point, the whole point of the entire story of the scriptures from beginning to end, the whole story was pointing to the fact that we can't save ourselves. There's actually nothing that we can do in and of ourselves to receive salvation or to receive eternity. The whole point of the story was that a sinless sacrifice had to come mm. and take our sin upon himself, take mm. our punishment upon himself. And because we couldn't, and there was nothing that we could do to earn that. And there was no amount of good behavior. There was no amount of rule following. There was no amount of earning um, that we that we could do. And I think the other thing that happens sometimes in our salvation walk is that if we've got a sinful past, Sometimes we feel like before we can truly receive the gift of salvation, that somehow we have to pay back for the bad that we've done. Wow, that's really powerful. Right? Somehow we've got to earn by good works, by loving people, by being kind to people, by serving people, by maybe serving in the church. There's this you're sense. Almost sens- you're almost in a sentence. Yeah, yes. You kind of sentenced yourself. Yes, yes. And I believe for a lot of people, mm. they feel like, because when they reflect on their past and when they, re- they reflect and they have deep regret, when there's deep regret about what their lives look like before Jesus, there's this sense of like, I need to pay back. And I don't know when you when you get there. I don't know when the sentence is done. You know, maybe for everyone it looks a bit different, but I need to pay back in mm-hmm. order to receive this gift of grace. But again, what Jesus did for us showed us that there is nothing we can do to pay it back. And actually, that's why it's called grace. It's undeserved, unearned favor or kindness shown towards us from a place of absolutely not being able to earn or deserve it. And that's the truth of the gospel. So I think that's a great place for us to sit on and then even pull out some scriptures about why we can be sure in this gift that that Jesus has done for us. It is so true. And Paul even speaks about that because Paul goes on in his chapter to talk all about all the things he had done religiously. Like I had done this. I studied this like perfect in his Pharisee. Like he was perfect. In legalism, in religion. Exactly. All that he had done saying, I've done all of these things. Look at my credentials. Like in the eyes of the world, I am the godly of the godly, like the holy of the holy. If you were to look, if it was by works, I, I'm, I've got the A++, like I have aced it. And what does he go on to say? But I count it all as rubbish. It's oh, rubbish. Meaningless. It means nothing next to what Christ has done. Nothing. Because it's not by works that you have been saved, but by grace. 
And it's not that we can boast. It talks about that. It is not something we can boast. It's a gift of God. And because it's a gift of God, none of us can stand up and say, I've earned this and I've done this. And that's why all of us are at that same level playing field. It is the gift of grace given to all of us, unmerited, even. Nobody is playing this game to earn that. It is given. And us working out our salvation is part of allowing the truth of what God has done now to transform us day by day, glory to glory, priest like principle on principle, precept to precept. Like that's exactly the working it out step by step. That's the working out of salvation. But it's not the working out of salvation that we're somehow undoing. Like we're going to lose it. And I think that's also been misinterpreted, like the working out your salvation with fear and trembling, almost like, wow, if I don't really work this out, like with works, I'm going to lose my salvation. Yeah. That, that's not what we're talking about here. It's about allowing what salvation has done to be worked out in your spirit. So you're transformed, you're yeah. sanctified, and you become more like Jesus, not perfection. Yeah. This is not about a striving perfection doctrine. This is about a sanctification transformation by the work of the Holy Spirit alone to make us more like Christ. So he is glorified and he is honored, not us, no boasting. So I love, I love this topic. And it also brings to light that the power of salvation, it's not fragile and easily lost. Yes. When we actually operate like that, not only are we saying, I love how you said that, like, it's not enough for me. It's also saying, the power of salvation is weak it's very fragile it's easily lost it's easily broken i easily lose it that's absolutely the opposite it is a binding covenantal promise and provision so i think that just brings that right up to light to the power of salvation so good in ephesians 1 13 uh, to 14 it says in him you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, believing is very important. It constantly, all of the scriptures that talk about the assurance in your salvation all have to do with believing. So if you believe, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of glory. Mm. Listen to those powerful words wow. that you're talking about. Pledge, inheritance, view, sealed. This is a legally binding agreement. Uh, our salvation. So it's a powerful. legally binding agreement that Jesus himself did for us that we could not do for ourselves. And so, again, we have to remember that. You know, there's another legally binding agreement that we kind of see here on the earth that's that we can maybe relate. It's different, but we can maybe relate. But that's the covenant of marriage. Mm -hmm. Yes, it is. When you think about we're two like sinful people because we are An sinful. imperfect covenant. Absolutely. Making vows before God with one another. That's why we wear a ring. It's like that symbol of a covenant walking together saying like I come into a vow a covenantal marriage with you to say until death to us part I am committed I'm devoted through richer for poor sickness yep. <laughs> through the good all days vows, bad days yep. all of our this is legally binding, binding. legally right. binding it's legally binding us together so when I have a day where I'm really not a great wife or a great friend to Jay he's not like that's it our vow is over no he is in he's in for the long haul and are you ever insecure in that covenant 
No. The covenant of your marriage. Are you ever like, if you really go through like a bad season and you're just not, you're, you're not actually being the wife you're called to be, you're supposed to be. Are you ever insecure that Jay is going to be like, that's it. I'm out of here. No, no, not at all. And we have a wonderful marriage. He's a very, like he's a man of of integrity and character. So we're talking about a marriage that is not perfect by any means, but that really is moving towards being what God has asked us to be, to reflect his, his goodness in our lives imperfectly in that. And I feel that security. And you still feel that and security. And I feel, still feel that security. Now I understand everybody listening may not have that, no. that security even in their marriage. I understand. The point that we're trying to make here is that this covenant, the covenant of marriage is made between two imperfect people. That's right. So yeah, you may not have that same security that Rhonda's talking about or that you know we have in our marriage, but the point is that's in an imperfect covenant. So now right. let's contrast that with a perfect covenant. That's right. A perfect covenant that Jesus has given to us that is legally binding that when we believe that we are legally sealed and brought into an inheritance and given given the guarantee through the promised Holy Spirit that lives within us, this is legal in every single respect in the spirit, in the in the spiritual realm just like as if we signed some papers and mm. made a lifelong commitment. But this one is also for all of eternity. It's not, and, all and, of and the marriage, the marriage covenant, it's temporal. It's temporal. It's, it's only for here. It's only for this, this side of eternity. So how much more is this covenant that we have with Jesus? Oh, yes. Not conditional upon what we do totally. or if we get it wrong or if we don't read our Bible or if totally. we mess up royally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's exactly it. Because when you think about even in the scripture, Jesus uses marriage to be a symbol when he's trying to show people this is as close as I can show you. This is not at all like this is the temporal, but this is as close as I can show you that that marriage that you have, the most the most beautiful marriage on earth that you would want to have and attain and work towards is a small, it's like a little symbol of the binding eternal contract I have with you. And Jesus uses marriage as a symbol. And that's why we're bringing this into it because he talks about being betrothed. We talk about being the bride of Christ. This is about the church being like a bride waiting for the groom. And all through scriptures, whether it's in the New Testament, well, Old Testament has so much to do with the unfaithfulness of Israel like a a bride, like a wife, like that unfaithfulness. And then you go into the New Testament, it talks about the virgins, it talks about the lamps being ready, looking for the bridegroom. And then to Revelation, it actually ends with the bridegroom meeting with the bride, the church. It ends in that movement. And like you hear that verbiage over and over because it's just like when, I'm kind of taking a little side trail here, but when Jesus was on earth and he would give parables, I've read the scripture my whole life and until I went to Israel and I actually walked on the grounds and I saw where Jesus was teaching, I thought he just looked around him and actually pulled from scenery, pulled from culture, things they understood into the parables to make it be like, oh, I can relate to that. Trying to say, here's a principle. I could actually, it's so vast and so great. I'm going to bring it to like the tiniest, tiniest level. Something we can understand. That we can understand. That we're looking at, that we see, that we can touch. That's exactly. So that's that was my experience in Israel. I remember when we were there too, we were just in awe of how now the scriptures were coming alive when we got a little glimpse 
I mean, a baby glimpse of culture, understanding a little bit of culture. I can't imagine if you come from Israel and reading these scriptures with the Jewish background and understanding the culture, but that was exactly how Jesus kind of helped us to understand the principles of the kingdom of God, the principles of what his values, what, what like brought a delight to his heart. Then you flip and you see all through scriptures, the analogy of the bride and the groom. And this once again is God's way of saying, this is such a vast, massive concept, but I want you to understand. So I'm going to use something very temporal that you see right in front of your eyes to say like, this is a little glimpse, but this is your temporal little human glimpse of what the magnitude of what I'm doing. But I want you to understand if this is of such value and if this is of such binding in the temporal world, imagine my covenantal, eternal, God-stamped covenant binding contract. Right. So Right. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. I want to pull a couple of scriptures because I love what you were just sharing there about the wife, the bride. And, you know, I was reading actually my, my devotions just last week was in Hosea. And I came across this unbelievable scripture that just references exactly what you just said. In, in uh, Hosea 2, verses 19, it says, and I will betroth you to me forever. This is God talking to Israel through the prophet Hosea. Wow. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. Understanding and having security in your salvation is all about knowing God. It's all about knowing and knowing again. So often when we see the word know in the scriptures, it's actually a reference of deep intimacy, like knowing as in when a husband and a wife come together in intimacy. And there's this little description in my Bible that talks about the the wife of the Lord. Israel is like the wife of the Lord, the unfaithful wife of the Lord. And it says marriage is one of the many figures used in scripture to emphasize the relationship of God to men. This illustration is used both in the Old Testament and the New Testament to picture love, intimacy, privilege, and responsibility. In the Old Testament, Israel is described as the wife of the Lord, though now disowned because of obedience. Nevertheless, eventually upon repentance, Israel will be restored. Now, this relationship is not to be confused with that of the church to Christ. Okay, so this is like I, I love this because it's a different reference here in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, Israel is the wife of God, but in the New Covenant, okay, so this relationship is not to be confused. In the mystery of the divine trinity, both are true. The New Testament speaks of the church as a virgin espoused mm. to one husband. This could never be said of an adulterous wife restored in grace. Israel is then to be restored and forgiven wife of the Lord. The church is the virgin wife of the lamb. Israel will be the Lord's earthly wife and the church will be the lamb's heavenly bride. Like what a restoration. And that's where salvation is literally talking about. You need to be born again. This is what it's referring to. It's referring to all that was a part of your old self, yourself before God, the dead part of who you are, the spiritually dead part of who you are, must become come into brand new resurrection life. That's the gift of salvation. And as you receive that resurrection life, now you are actually, you're not even just restored, you've become a new, new. creature, wow. the virgin bride, the virgin bride, like pure, 
spotless and only to one, no unfaithfulness left, no unfaithfulness. So you're restored to a completely different position in Christ because of the work of Christ. Like that, that is really, that is, that's profound, Lori. That's profound. So beautiful. So beautiful, that beautiful restoration. And and it's a miracle, right? It's a miracle because the thing is, all of us can relate, I think, in our relationship with God. Now, if we're talking in a spiritual sense, we can relate to being the unfaithful wife, I'm putting in quotations, of God. We can relate to that because, oh man, we just don't get it right most of the time. We really, really don't. But literally because of Christ, we're invited into a completely new covenant, not an old covenant, a brand new, different covenant Mm. as virgin brides. That is so profound. And the culmination coming in eternity, right? It's coming in eternity because when you think of after everything is over, the battle has been won. Satan has been defeated once and for all. It's all over. Like it's the rejoicing in heaven. You know, you just think in the heavenly realm, it goes on to say, praise the Lord. And we're talking about now, this is when Revelation switches now. Revelation 19, you start to see like you've got all the fall. 18 is like this terrible opportunity. Like everything is coming. The defeat of like the this is right before the millennium. Anyways, that's a whole other unpacking with Revelation. But right at the end of the tribulation, there's victory. You know, this is Armageddon has happened. Satan is bound. And now we have the victory in heaven. And what does he say? Praise the Lord for the Lord, our God, the almighty reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and let us give honor to him for the time has come for the wedding, the feast of the lamb and his bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. So when you think like I'm just pulling, this is you're reading in the old Testament in Hosea. Yeah. yeah. And now we're pulling all the way thousands. Like this yeah. is to come. This is to come. Revelation. Connection. Once again, that connection of the bride yes. that we're being put, like clothed in white linens. We're being given. This is now that coming together of perfection. And we live in an imperfect time. We're still in that Fulfill, waiting for that fulfillment. We're waiting for that fullness of that fulfillment. But God is saying to you, as much as that ultimate marriage on that temporal imperfect level is between a husband and wife on earth, the eternal is binding and a covenant and will be in perfection. Imperfection. imperfection. Says the marriage, um, and this is my study notes for that exact scripture, the marriage of the lamb, literally the marriage supper of the lamb is the consummation of the marriage of Christ and the church and his bride. And it says the betrothal. So this is now again, our new betrothal. The betrothal is legally binding when the individual members of the body of Christ are saved. So there it is. There it is. That's our eternal security. That's the binding covenant of our salvation. The one that we, again, if you contrast that with marriage, yes, is marriage supposed to be faithful? Absolutely. Everyone would agree with with that. Is it always? No. But we have a perfect bridegroom, a perfect bridegroom who laid his life down for us. So we have literally been legally bound by this salvation in our in in our salvation. We're legally bound to this. So then the question is, when does the grip of grace let go? Someone asked me that one time because I think, you know, when you have this, when you don't have eternal security, what ends up happening is that you also are 
you easily put yourself in the position of judge mm. for what you see in the external behaviors of others. So you kind of decide, oh, that person's probably not going to heaven because of how they're living. And you, it, it comes out. It comes mm-hmm. out in the way you think, in the way you speak, in the way you speak to people. And, you know, the, the question someone asked me one time is, how do you know when the grip of God's grace lets go? How do you know? And I, it, it literally shook me because I thought, oh my gosh, here again, we put ourselves in the position of judge. Mm. We, we go right back to Genesis and we grab that apple off the tree and we take mm. a bite and we say, I know better. Mm-hmm. I know if someone's going to make it to heaven or not. Yeah, oh, I'm going to be like God and I'm going to make the decisions. I'm like, going to decide. I'm going to decide here. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. That's not our place. That's, no. that's never our place. That's it. Like it really isn't. And I know there are some scriptures. There's a, Paul talks about, you know, the church and expel the immoral brother. And there's a couple of scriptures that talk about confronting believers, you know, about their life and all of that. But there are so many more scriptures <laughs> that talk about like, do not judge lest you be judged. Do not put yourself in this position and the security of our salvation. And mm-hmm. I want us as believers to live being secure in the covenant of our salvation and from that security wanting to honor God with our lives because again he promises life Mm -hmm. as we honor him we have life so that is the beautiful reward of our obedience absolutely when we don't we don't have life that's right and I feel like if that's not secure if that's not a place that's actually foundational to you building your life Because of that foundation of assurance with Jesus. Now, now we're not, I want to be very honest here. I, I, I'm not speaking this message of once saved, always saved. I don't believe that. I, but I believe that line of losing your salvation is like literally, you don't even care at that point. If you're actually concerned about it, you're not even close. To, I heard someone say that. If you're even thinking about it, you're not even close to that line. Right. Like, right? like uh, if someone were to lose their salvation, like it would be an utter rejection of God and the spirit of God within you. It would, it would be a intentional That's exactly it. rejection of God's grace and a walking away of that covenant, a breaking of that covenant. And, you know, I've heard people teach on eternal security or once saved, always saved theology. This is a, you know, big theological debate within the church. And, you know, I've heard some say that, you know, if someone were to walk away from their salvation or reject it altogether, they were never saved to begin with. And again, these are things that, you know, through the scriptures, and again, these are just theological positions that different uh, streams of theology, you know, begin to unpack. But at the end of the day, I think I'm comfortable with not putting myself in the position of judge and not being the one to decide. And part of me, as I get to know God and as I fixate my focus on who God is and getting to know him, but, but not just know, but intimately be intimately acquainted Mm -hmm. with God. um, It gives me the assurance that again, I don't have to take that on. I can trust that God is going to work that out in his perfection my judgment, it's always going to come through imperfection, tremendous mm-hmm. imperfection. So why would I even bother? Why would I even attempt to decide? You know, many people feel 
insecure about losing loved ones, being unsure if they knew Christ, you know, where they're going to be. And again, I, I just would encourage you if there are people in your life that you've lost, that you're concerned about, or that this weighs heavy on you, just return that back to the Lord. It's so good, Lori. And just trust him. Like just mm-hmm. trust him that he is a righteous and good judge and that he knows the the whole, the whole picture. picture, not even just the whole picture of that person's life, the Their whole picture spirit. from the beginning of time Absolutely. until the end. He knows the whole picture. Mm-hmm. And so again, we can trust him in that. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we need to take that weight and that burden mm-hmm. on ourselves. Um, I think many feel they need to, and I don't know, I don't know what that's about, but that's a weight. I don't think God wants us to carry. That's actually really, really powerful how you just unpack that, because I really believe like when we have started having those questions of like, were they saved? Were they not saved? They did all of these, like you can hear of leaders that have done terrible things. Like they've professed God, all these incredible things and then some bad things and bad <laughs> things. And it comes out after and you think, were they even saved or they go to heaven? That's actually not ours to decide. You will never be judge of someone's salvation. Let's be truthful here. You will never stand before God and judge anybody. Because we don't know the heart. We we don't don't know anybody's heart. So I just feel like really, we like you're saying, we have to lay that down and leave it before the actual perfect judge, the ultimate judge. And I feel like in our own lives, as we're kind of circling back for salvation, if we don't have the assurance of salvation, that bedrock solid in our foundation, everything that builds on that will be shaky. And it will be either with the wrong motive of trying to please, strive, earn. It will just go start to teeter and when those storms come it won't be solid because our our base on everything is through is salvation that's where everything rests and falls is on what christ has done for us and so this message is meant as Lori and i are sharing we just want you to hear that god has made a covenant with you you are bound to the very heart of god and it says in first john 5 11 about salvation and the title of this is faith in the son of god and this is what god has testified i love how that scripture opens up with that in verse 11 this is what god has testified so here it is he has given us eternal life so first off god is saying this so if god's saying it it's it's happening it's true it's the foundation we build on he has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. It doesn't say this life is in works. This life is in ABC. You fill in the blank. He has given us a gift, eternal life, through Jesus Christ, and that's the only son of God, Jesus Christ. Whoever has the son has life. So when you are questioning, you can say, I believe in Jesus. I have life. Whoever does not have God's son does not have life. And then it goes on. I love this final scripture, scripture 13. It says, I have written this to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. There's that word the again. Key word, no. You may know. You may know. So God starts by saying, this is my word. I've given you this promise. I gave you Jesus Christ as a promise. If you've received this, you may know. You may know. Do not lose your confident hope in what I have provided through my son. It is the solid foundation of your life, immovable foundation that is sealed with a promise, sealed then with the Holy Spirit given as a guarantee. Like we could just keep building here. Not only did he say this in his word, which is enough. 
He then goes on to say, I'm going to give us, but on top of that, I'm going to give you a guarantee. My Holy Spirit's going to fill you. I'm going to give you on the day of Pentecost, my Holy Spirit's going to fill you. That's your guarantee. My spirit now is in you. Not only is this a binding contract, I have united you to myself with the spirit of my spirit in you. So if there is a question, we want you to feel this eternal hope infusing you today that you may know you have eternal life. So powerful. So So powerful. powerful. Oh, and Romans eight is a phenomenal chapter. It's a, it's a, very, very strong theological theological chapter. I mean, uh, you know, some teachers call it the greatest chapter in the entire mm. in, t- in the entire scriptures. So again, if you're questioning this, I encourage you to read Romans eight and read it over. Like read it over. Spend a, spend a month reading it every day. But it starts by saying there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and. That is a powerful, powerful difference between, and I think sometimes as believers, we mix up a sense of condemnation with what is meant to be conviction from the Holy Spirit. You see, the enemy always condemns us, but God brings conviction because conviction helps us to be more like him. It brings us to our knees. It brings us to repentance. It brings us to the place where we can do what the scriptures say, confess, repent, and be healed. And so, so again, if we can remember that anytime we're questioning our salvation, we're coming under condemnation. We're coming under a form of, because you did this, now you don't deserve eternity. Because you've done this, maybe there's not a place for you. And again, there's a lot of scary scriptures in here. There really is. Like, like you know, many will say in that day, you know, and, and I'll say, I never knew you. They'll say, Lord, Lord, didn't I do all these things for you? And they'll, and, and I'll say, I, I didn't know you. You know, there are, there, and this is Jesus teaching. So listen, I understand this comes from what we read in the word of God, but we have to have assurance that we are in Christ, that Christ has done what he has done for us. And that because of that, we are in him. Therefore, we can have assurance of what he has done for us. Romans 8 continues to go on to say, who can separate us from the love of God? What Amen. can separate us from the love of God? And it just goes through this large list of things, of possibilities that could happen. And he says, no, no, none of these things can separate you from my love. My love, again, the covenant, the binding legal covenant of my love is greater than all of these things that want to make you believe that you were apart from my love. These things bind me to you, unite me through my spirit to you. And I love, I love that. And so again, Romans eight, read it, let it get into your spirit, Mm. but don't mistake in condemnation for conviction. Mm. Conviction is beautiful. It's a beautiful space that brings us back into this right relationship with God and brings us back into the gift of grace Mm -hmm. um, that he has given us for everything, for all of time, as long as we live here in this fallen world and as long as we're wrestling against our, our flesh and our spirit, his grace is sufficient. His grace is enough. The cross is enough. What he's done is enough for us. It covers us in all of those things. And that's a beautiful space of assurance that we have. That, I love that. I don't even know if we can even... That was a perfect finale to this conversation. And so as we close today, we just want to remind you that your king has gone ahead and made a way for you. So as you follow your king, may you follow in pure, full confidence that not only can you follow in this life, 
but you will follow him into life to come because he has gone to prepare a place for you. He's going to come again and he's going to take you to be with himself because he is your king and we are, our eyes are on him. We're going to follow him from this life to the next. So be confident in your eternal salvation with your king. Oh, I love that. And hold your position in Christ. I mean, this takes this to a whole, this conversation day takes this meaning to a whole new level. Your position in Christ is secure because of what Christ has done for you and because of the legal binding covenant of his love, of his sacrifice, of the cross, of his resurrection, of all that entails the fullness of your salvation. And so hold your position in Christ. You do not need to question your salvation. He has done this for you. There's nothing you can do to earn it. So receive it afresh today. Receive it afresh today. And never again let those doubts, never again let those doubts come in. Let that revelation just be awakened in your spirit today. Hold your position in Christ because you are saved. You are in him because of Christ alone. And we thank you. We thank you, Jesus, for what you've given us. Have an awesome day, guys. We hope this was a blessing to you today. Bye-bye. Have a wonderful day. We love sharing our time with you. Thank you for joining us today on the Awakening Moments podcast. We pray that you are filled with hope and joy as you navigate the challenges of life. And we would love for you to subscribe to this podcast or share it with your friends. And remember, you are so loved by God and He is always with you.